You're listening to the Boss Business of Surgery series, episode 95. Today, I'm talking with Ruth Clark LaFleur. She helped an orthopedic practice who was in danger of closing come back from the brink of financial disaster. She's here to talk about how we can keep our practices profitable. For more information about the Boss Business of Surgery series, including a link to the Become the Boss MD Success Beyond Residency book, as well as programs offered, head to bosssurgery.com. Welcome, surgeons. Residency didn't teach us everything we needed to learn to be a successful surgeon. While we spent our time caring for patients and learning how to operate, we didn't learn how to advocate for ourselves or navigate our career. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Vertries. I'm a general surgeon, certified coach, and founder of the Boss Business of Surgery series. This is where you'll learn those lessons not taught in residency. Welcome back. I'm so excited to bring this guest on today. This is Ruth Clark LaFleur. She is the a practice administrator and an orthopedics group, and she's going to take us through how she took this practice who was basically failing and found, diagnosed a lot of their problems and helped create it to where their practice is essentially turned around. And obviously this is information that we need to know. A lot of us don't know how to run a medical practice or we're employed and don't think we have to pay attention. But keep in mind that we are cogs in this wheel and this wheel has to keep turning. So we're either intimately involved with this wheel or we are just a spoke in the wheel, but either way, we are intimately involved with what's happening in the practice. And so the healthier the practices that we work in are, the more successful we are going to be and the more likely we're going to be able to negotiate for raises, at least not go out of business too, because I think a lot of people are facing that with the the landscape of healthcare decreasing in reimbursement. So I thought, you know, Ruth was a great person to come on and share some of her wisdom because she has a a tremendous amount to offer of things that we just didn't even know we were supposed to be looking at. So Ruth, welcome to the show. Thank you, Amy. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. So take us through your path, because I think your path to get to this place of being a practice administrator was a fascinating one. And I think it shows a lot of ingenuity and resilience and basically like figuring out how you are able to help other people. Your path is very compelling. Well, thank you very much. So I was not always in this industry. I owned a restaurant from 1995 until 2010. And I believe that's where a lot of my understanding of what is important in making sure a business is successful, you know, putting in your blood, sweat and tears and identifying areas of opportunity. If, you know, you're not making money on certain days, or even if a staff member, you know, could be rude to a customer. So after I decided I'd had enough of the restaurant business, essentially, (laughs) I wanted to always work in healthcare. And I wasn't so sure I wanted to be on the clinical side of things, but I do love working with people and I wanted to be in that that area. So I decided to go back to school and I achieved my medical billing and coding certificate. I got hired on by a practice management consulting firm that worked with a very large hospital organization in the United States called HCA. I'm sure you may have heard of them or may not have. So my job at the time was to work out of a queue that claims would fall in when there were things that were missing or maybe didn't add up. So for 
Example, if a doctor documented a certain diagnose, diagnosis like a head cold, but the coding reflected a brain tumor, I would have to go and sit with the physician and query them as to if this was the correct documentation that went along with the coding. Doing that, I, I worked in that area and I learned a lot and about documentation and the importance of it and also how to assist those providers in understanding the importance of it, not only making sure everything matches up, making sure their charts were signed, and how that would affect their work RVUs. So I did that for several years, and I managed to work my way up into a leadership role in that company and review really the revenue as a whole, what affects revenue, how we can help providers to become more successful and really give them the reason behind the why. Because a lot of providers, as you mentioned in your book, Amy, which is amazing, by the way, I love your book. You go to school and you are learning all of the things you need to know to create all of the clinical success, but they don't understand the reasoning behind it's important to get your coding correctly with your documentation and, you know, how that all kind of jives together and how it affects them. So with that being said, right now, my current role is I'm a practice administrator uh, for an orthopedic practice group. And I was brought on a couple of years ago because this practice was failing immensely they had entrusted their business with another firm that was not really on the up and up. They stole money from them. They hired employees that were not knowledgeable, that were basically there just to get a paycheck. And their AR was about $3 million in, in deficit when I was brought on. There's so many parts of that that are so interesting. The very first thing that we have to wrap our head around is that medicine really is a business. You yes, know, we can argue whether it should be or not, but at least in the current landscape, medicine is a business. We provide a service and right. service is value. We establish the value. Someone pays that. And it's on us as the business to be able to collect on that value that's agreed on. And there's so many different parts to all of that, some of which we have control over and some of which we don't. But either right. way, it's just a business like anything else is whether you're a plumber or in the restaurant business, things like that, is that we have to be able to establish our value and show the value and create exactly what it is that we do, which a lot of us don't realize that's what coding is. We worked all right. this time to create a number code, ICD-10, so mm -hmm. we can then do something and then document what that is, which is CPT codes. And then we send that to billing to where they say, okay, we agreed on this beforehand. There's our contract with the insurance company. There's the patient's contract with the insurance company. We all talk. This is what we get paid. And so you have to establish the value, clarify it, send the bill, get the money. Absolutely. That's absolutely right. And so that's one of the items that I realized very quickly in this practice that I started overseeing the, one of the first things I did was pull their data to find out, which also tells a story. What is happening here? Why is this practice not making money or where did they lose money essentially? 
So once I did that, I was really able to identify quick ways that we can start recouping some money. And one of the ways was that I noticed that they had not been collecting any money up front for co-pays or even outstanding balances in two years. So that was my cue to say, okay, this is something we can fix today. I'm going to put a workflow together, some scripting for the front end staff. So when they call a patient to confirm their appointment, to get them ready to know that they have a $50 copay at check-in. Um, we established that very quickly. We started collecting money and it, we haven't looked back. <laughs> it's just been a process that's been in place and we've helped to increase that revenue up to like over 50%, if not a little bit more on certain months, depending on how many healthcare patients we're seeing or health and in- health insurance patients we're seeing. And so that's such a great point. Cause like, what is a copay exactly? Like, how would you describe a copay to somebody? So a copay is an amount that a patient has a contract with their health insurance for certain types of visits. So some health insurances require a specialist copay. So if you go to an orthopedist, your copay may be $50. That is your agreement with your health insurance that you're covered by that you will pay each time you go to a specialist, or it could be an ER, which may be $100. So basically, that's the agreement that you and your health insurance coverage has with each other. This is such a great point, because a lot of people don't even know this simple fact. The copay right. is determined by the patient's contract with their insurance. So that's right. The patients that get mad at doctors for their copay are looking at the wrong person. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And and that's why it's so important to really have your staff members understand it as well. Because if they don't un- even understand it, then they can't explain to a patient exactly what you just said. And really educating the patients first and foremost is very important because you're right. A lot of them are like, well, I don't understand. Why do I have to pay this? I'm covered by insurance. Well, absolutely. You are covered by insurance, but you also have an obligation to what your coverage asks of you. Yes. And a lot of times recognizing that we are as a courtesy helping the patient understand their benefits. Yes. I think it's really helpful because I think that's an understanding that it's very lost in the interaction. They feel like I'm going to the the practice. They are asking money of me. They're terrible because they're asking me to do something. Not recognizing (laughs) we actually are obligated to collect that copay. Our contract as physicians with the insurance company obligates us to try to collect our part of this, that's part of our agreement. Like for us to waive the copay can actually get us into trouble because we are violating our contract with the insurance company. That's absolutely right on, Amy. Yes. And we're not actually doing anybody any favors by doing that. No, we aren't. We're not doing the, the patients a favor because in the long run, they're still going to owe it regardless if they say when they come in, oh, I forgot it, or I don't have it, they still owe it. And so the more they don't pay, we're affected in several ways. The patients are, you know, behind on what they owe. The practice is not getting the money because they are also responsible for collecting it. And 
it can resolve in an upset all the way around. So yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's it's an obligation and the patients, if you have good scripting in place for your staff members and they have compassion to help the patients understand, I think that's the a great starting point. I completely agree. And this does get to the point of educating the staff, which is I know one of the jobs that you work with is working with the staff on the scripting. So what would an example of a script be that you, like when you're training someone to collect Mm -hmm. this, what are some of the things that you see that have been successful? So what I see is really successful is putting together a process, whether it be a new patient that's coming in or an established patient Each time your staff member calls the patient for a confirmation call, hello, Mr. Smith, I just wanted to remind you, you have an appointment with us December 5th at 12 p.m. I also wanted to just prepare you that per your Anthem insurance, you will be responsible for your $50 copay, which is due at the time of check-in. And if they say, oh, well, I never had that copay before or nobody, which is what I experienced a lot. Well, nobody ever took money from me before. I understand. But per your contract with your insurance company, we are obligated to collect that from you. If you have any questions, you can contact your insurance company directly or I could even try to assist you even farther by pulling the real-time eligibility benefits for you and, you know, giving them to you at your time of check-in. So, you know, just simple ways to really help them understand. And that's, that's kind of the scripting that I put together. We will get pushback. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It happens, but the more we can just be consistent with that each time, the patients will get used to it and they'll just know automatically that they are responsible for paying those charges once they check into their appointments. Completely agree. And I think the consistency is so helpful for everyone because as long as we sign a contract that says we must collect this, and as long as Mm -hmm. a patient signs a contract that this is what will be collected, then us kicking it down the road and not collecting this is actually not serving anyone because the obligation is still there. Now, arguing the obligation is a different show altogether. (laughs) (laughs) It can be. It is what it is. I mean, that's that's what we, because a lot of people, you know, especially as physicians, we don't even see the contracts that are signed. They are typically signed on our behalf by a practice management company or a hospital. And it would serve people to kind of take a look at some of these contracts to see exactly what's in them, what our obligations are, because the interesting aspect, they're signed on our behalf, but we are actually still responsible for them. It's so true. Yes. And I highly recommend, you know, and I know physicians are so busy, but it really does benefit providers to know, you know, or at least be somewhat aware of what the contracts are stating. The copay can lead to a lot of misunderstandings too. So, you know, a lot of people don't recognize the copay is the upfront charge that they're obligated for. That's the patient's responsibility, but it is not the visit cost. And I see a lot of confusion with that too, is like, well, I paid this, my $50 specialty copay, why are you billing me? And so I think that there's a lot on us to educate the patients and, you know, our staff about what this actually is. Like, this is the, the elements that we're supposed to do. 
that even the, the copay and the visit will also, on a second note, lead to their deductible too, because a lot of people don't understand what their deductible is. Um, Correct. Just explain that to them in that context. Well, so that's another process that I help put in place is educating my staff to understand what those, and if, if you're not familiar, I they're sometimes called RTE, which real-time eligibility. It's the process of when a patient does have health insurance. Most EMR systems these days are able to quickly run a real-time eligibility, which will list out what the copay responsibility is, what a coinsurance, because sometimes patients don't always have copays. They could have coinsurance 20% or a deductible, as you're just mentioning. So I try to always get those run prior to an, a, a patient's visit and going through that, taking a few minutes to go through that with them and explain to them in detail, okay, you have a coinsurance responsibility, which means you won't be billed today, but after your visit and your claim is processed, you may receive a bill for that amount of coinsurance. They probably will look at me like I have two heads because a lot of patients don't really get it, but we have to make sure if they have questions that we can answer them and be knowledgeable about what they're asking. So deductible, same thing. Some patients may have a $3,000 deductible that has not been met. So we have to explain to them per your insurance eligibility benefits, you have a $3,000 deductible. You may not get billed today at the time of visit, but once the claim is processed, whatever is remaining on your deductible, you may receive a bill from us. So just again, just preparing the patient and giving them the, the knowledge that they need or to be able to answer their questions to your best of ability is always going to be what leads to successful patient relationship building and revenue. And so the coinsurance, that is essentially like they're part of the whole visit. Is that correct? Yes. So if if you are charging, you know, $100 for your office visit, which I know is really low, but I'm going to use that as an example, and the patient is responsible for 20% of that, then they would get a bill for $20. Perfect. Yeah. And a lot of people understand that, but I know that as far as like what the medical staff can do, what do they see and, and how do we help? Because I know that you mentioned a lot of people don't realize this, that the EMRs will typically pull all those things. So take mm -hmm. us through as you're preparing someone to come visit, how does that system work? So basically it depends on how we get the patient. So if they are a referral, of course, we want to put all of the information in correctly and make sure that we have all of the demographics correct. Number one, there are so many times, especially in denial review, where you may see a denial for a non-covered, which means, for an example, if you put in a patient's birthday incorrectly, they may say this, this, subscriber is non-covered or this subscriber cannot be identified per their member ID. So really starting there to make sure that your staff members are obtaining all of the correct information from the patient, whether it be through a face sheet, 
but also calling the patient prior to, to say, is this all of your correct information? Is your date of birth this? Is your zip code this? I know it sounds silly, but even one number being transposed or not having a correct zip code can affect your denial rate. So that is key. Also making sure that if they have a primary insurance or a secondary or even sometimes a tertiary insurance, we want to make sure all of those are in correctly and they're in the correct order. Because many times if a patient has Medicare, but then they also have a secondary insurance, if that secondary insurance gets put in the primary payer field, you're going to get a denial. You will not get paid. It can be corrected. It's a very easy fix. But if you can get all of those steps in place from the get-go and there are checks and balances to make sure that everything is correct, then you will have a clean claim pretty much every single time. It's so important because you don't realize the weakest link is putting that information in. And it's yes. so easy for someone to have a day to where you flip numbers or you know right. get any of those numbers wrong. So, you know, crap in and crap out. Right. <laughs> and the the order is so important too, because we've seen to where for surgeries, especially you need to get pre-authorization. Well, the primary insurance yes. does not require pre-authorization, but the secondary insurance does. Absolutely. And this is not a task that you want to leave to a person who does not know or does not have attention to detail. It's an incredibly important task because yes. you can be denied th thousands of dollars if you don't catch it from right. a simple mistake that any of us could make. Absolutely. And that's why one of the other keys that I feel is so crucial to any healthcare business is reviewing your data every month, looking at what the main cause for your denials are. Are they related to insurance? Are they related to missing modifiers? Are they related to not receiving the authorizations, just as you were mentioning? And that will guide you or your practice or providers or all of the above, which I think it's very important for everybody to kind of gel together and talk about these things in recognizing where the education needs to come in and correcting it quickly and putting steps in place for easy resolve of these corrections. I think it's great. You mentioned that you turned this practice around simply by collecting copays up front and outstanding balances. And so how do you advise people in managing the outstanding balance problem? Oh boy. Well, it's it's not always easy. Easier said than I, done. <laughs> it's easier said than done sometimes. But what I would recommend is, again, if your EMR has the capability of pulling a report to see where you are with outstanding balances, honestly, I would recommend going for the smaller ones first. If somebody owes $10, you're more apt to send out a statement or call a patient on the phone and say, I'm so sorry, we failed to collect this from you the last time you were here, but based on what you owe per your insurance coverage, we have a $10 outstanding balance that should have been collected for your coinsurance. Would you be able to pay that today? You can take it over the phone if you have a credit card system, or you can send them, a, let them know a statement's on the way. And if they could pay it the next time they come in or send a check just to get the ball rolling. And again, 
getting your patients in the habit of paying their, their balances. So reminding them during confirmation calls, getting your statements rolling out again. You may, unfortunately, depending on the age of the outstanding balance, you may have to negotiate it down. There's a way that you can also call a patient and say, this is on us. We never collected it from you. This is what you owe, but we're willing to work with you on this. Would you like to, if we reduce it, you know, 20% or 30%, could you pay it today? Another process that I put in place that this practice did not have is a financial policy. Policies are very important to practices. So you can set that up any way that you feel is lucrative for you and your patients. What we like to do is offer a payment plan or also put a credit card on file and spell out in those policies exactly, again, what the patient is responsible for. So if they have health insurance, you will be responsible for co-pays. You will be responsible for your co-insurance, your deductibles. The more you can give the patient to understand what they're responsible for and have them sign it, you will be protected and you will more than likely get those payments. One more thing I did that this practice did not have was a no-show policy. We were getting tons of no-shows and reschedules and there was nothing you know we could do about it because there were no policies in place to let a, a patient know, you know, maybe a, a one time is a courtesy, but going forward, if you do not cancel your appointment within 48 hours or 24 hours, whatever your policy may want to say, you will be charged a $50 no-show fee. And, you know, again, letting the patients know in that policy or the financial policy they sign, as well as letting them know during confirmation calls, please let, you know, call us within 48 hours to cancel your appointment to avoid the $50 no-show fee. So that was another little way that we were able to start collecting a little more money as well. We don't like to do it always, but when you have a high rate of no-shows, it really would benefit your practice to start doing that. Yes, I and get the patients to their appointments. <laughs> yes, I 100% agree. Yes. I mean, it's it's so hard when you have a, like the system in general just accepts it. Because I, I remember my last job, they never mm-hmm. enforced any no-show. And you have to be careful. Right. Some insurances will not allow you to do no-show. Right. Like, like Medicare, Medicaid. I'm not sure 100% which ones, but I do know yes. some will not allow you to collect those. So it's important to know Correct. again where your contract shows. But having a policy of if you don't do this, I mean, our agreement is you show up and or you let right. us know a certain time frame is that we really do treat, tell people how to treat us. Yes. And yes, we do. A lot of it is keeping in mind again, that, that we're a business and what will happen if we don't do that. We think that we're helping people out by not doing this or bending over backwards, but essentially we will not have a business if we do not right. pay attention to these numbers, because this orthopedic surgery practice that you had you know, was in danger of closing, correct? Yes, ma'am. Yes, they were. And uh, it, it was a shame because this is a provider that has been in business for 26 years, had a thriving practice of five different practices in five different locations. And because of the things that occurred and because he was not involved in the business side of things. He just saw his patients. He did his surgeries. He was a happy little camper. It almost put him in 
and his family in financial ruin. So it's super, super important to know at least the basic things you need to know for your business to make sure, even if that's just looking at data once a month with your practice administrator, with your revenue cycle company, really just knowing what your figures are. And if there are things that need to be fixed, putting processes in place to quickly fix it. So we've talked a lot about the processes of getting people to the door, which I 100% think is most important. And then how do you collect the money that is due based on agreements that people have had Mm -hmm. in place? You know, we're not asking for people to do something extra that's actually obligated. Sure. So when they look at the numbers, what are, where would you start? Because I know a lot of people don't even like, I don't even know where to start. Yeah. So I mean, really just pulling like a basic scorecard for your practice. And a lot of EMR systems have the capability to do that each month. I would just start looking at, honestly, I would look at your denials. Where are your largest amount of denials coming from? Because those are easy fixes. If they're within registration, then you know, you need to go spend some time up front with your registration staff and make sure they really understand how to put the data in, what insurances need to be primary or secondary, and and kind of talk with them. You know, if you don't know what you don't know. So if you have a staff member who isn't well-versed in knowing that Medicare is always primary over Medicaid, then you're going to keep having the same denials occur. So I think denials tell a huge story about what's going on in your practice, essentially because everything that you do in that practice is related to what denials you're getting. And Mm -hmm. it's important to kind of simplify denials are you have already done the work, right? You have not gotten paid. Yes. (laughs) Very simple. (laughs) So you have already done the work. And so it's so easy to look back and say like, oh, this may actually oftentimes be a simple fix. I had right. a denial that it took us a year and a half to keep fighting because what typically happens is almost always is like, we need more information. No problem. We send them a note right? Uh, because they're trying to wrap their head around the numbers that are provided. Does this ICD-10 match the CPT code that we have all agreed we will cover? And it it's, can be simple as I just didn't see a note that said something. So- right. You know, I know that that's one simple thing. There was yes. one where the, the procedure was authorized, but I was not listed as the surgeon on that. Right. That was easy to fix. That was a $4,800 mistake mm-hmm. someone did not catch until right. my seller office manager did. Yes. So there's a lot of things that can be really frustrating. When we do the work, we expect to be paid. We don't realize that you still have to put forth the effort to do so. It unfortunately yes. is a process. And when you drop it down to the basics of it really is just a process, you know, it's it's math, it's numbers, it's checking boxes. It's not, they're out to get me. I'm never going to (laughs) get, they're the problem. The patients are the problem. The system, well, the system might be the problem. Yeah. Sometimes, (laughs) (laughs) you know, unfortunately we won't be able to change the system if we don't understand what the system is. Correct. And I, that is my directive my request, I should say, to people who don't like the system, you have to understand it if you want to understand what needs to change. Because there's no question, I think that there's a lot of the system that needs to change. But I'm also a realist. This is the system that we're living in. Yes, ma'am. 
That is very true. And this is something I hear from the provider I work for on a daily. He is consistently saying, this system is terrible. <laughs> they're not, they're not geared for us making money. And I just have to calm him down and say, okay, we can't change them, but we can change and look for ways to keep making us successful. So that's what it's all about. A little bit of this is our mindset too. Every now and then when I have someone who comes by and says, well, I cannot pay. And I have some sympathy because some people really do have trouble. However, we have right. an obligation to collect that. And also yes. it's like, well, I mean, we are providing a service. How do we value our service? If they right. expect to pay the nail salon up front, why are they not expecting to pay the doctor up front? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100% agree with that. I mean, we can't go to the grocery store and take milk out of the free the refrigerator and say to the cashier, oh, I'll pay you next week. <laughs> they wouldn't take very quickly to that. Exactly. So, yeah. And, you know, we think, again, we're being compassionate by giving them the milk. Right. But if we keep giving the milk, the, the store closes. Nobody wins. That's right. Nobody and wins. If our practice collapses, then the only option we have may be to do locums. Now it costs the system more. So right. we're actually not serving the system either. So, you know, understanding the system we're in and how we work in it, and then understanding how it works so we know what needs to change is really the way to do that. That is the key. Absolutely. Yes. Now, I know that you have the lots of, of information for people that getting to know their practice. And I know one of the things you mentioned is the six basics that yes. you know, medical practices need to know. So where do they find this? Well, I've created a PDF document that kind of outlines what the six basics are to assist any practice to achieve the highest revenue possible. I have a website it's www.revenue, oh, excuse me, docsrevenueguru.com. And I'd be happy to provide that free document to you just to review and maybe assist you if so inclined to look at your data and, and help you really understand your practice and where improvements for success can be made. And you also mentioned you have a web or an email address too. So what was that yes. email address? Okay, so it's R.C. Lafleur, L-A-F-L-E-U-R, at DocsRevenueGuru.com. And you can email me as well, and I would love to, you know, chat. It's my passion. It's my passion to help healthcare companies become successful and just find easy ways to do it. Because I think a lot of people might make it more complicated than it really is, but there are definitely easy ways to make yourself successful in this business. And one last question. How long do you think it would take to go from assessing a practice to making some real changes? How long is that process typically? Typically, it really depends on where you are revenue-wise. But I would say within 30 days time with the smallest changes you can make can make a big impact, just depending on what area needs the, the real work done in. So once that's identified, I give it about 30 days at least to put a good process in place and start implementing those changes as soon as possible. Oh, I completely agree. Because I think the first thing is denial is getting back the money you've already worked for. 
And yes. then the processes over time and training people, of course, takes a lot longer. But yes. seeing those quick wins and measuring those things along the way are so incredibly important to not get discouraged. Yes, they are. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but I think that if we embrace, I know one flaw that, that I've had that I've discovered recently over this last year is that you have to actually book time as the CEO of your practice. Right. wherever, whether that's employed or not. I mean, to, to spend that CEO time to say, what is the health of my business? You know, what should I be measuring? You know, what is most important for me to focus on? And, you know, what mm-hmm. can I do in this particular quarter? Because I, I took little things like, I'm going to focus on this, this particular time, not all of it, because it's too overwhelming. Right. I'll just sure. focus on denials. I'll just focus on, you know, the, the amount of return. Like there's definitely some things that we can keep it from being overwhelming. And there's yes. definitely a lot of resources, obviously you being one of them to, to help. So I definitely encourage everyone to reach out to Ruth and they're Thank already going to gain so much from this, this podcast episode. So I hope everyone reaches out to you, gets these six, six basics to improve your financial return and reach out to you so we can better oh. understand what we need to do in the world. Oh, well, thank you so much, Amy. And again, I just want to say it's such a pleasure to be here and I truly do love your book. <laughs> so anyone who has not purchased your book yet, definitely it's, it's worth the read for sure. A lot of great information in there and it's such a pleasure to work with you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks so much for coming on. <laughs> For more information on the BOSS Business of Surgery series, go to bosssurgery.com.